The text I want us to focus on at the very beginning in Exodus chapter 25 is verse 8. Exodus chapter 25. Because every principle in these first nine verses is uh, balanced based on our understanding and our appreciation and our, the impact of Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8 upon us. It says this, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, or some of your Bibles say that I may dwell with them. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. The Lord of lords and the, the King of kings, the almighty God, the Bible tells us, wants to be with us, wants to be with you. This is a theme that actually runs throughout Scripture. It's pounded into our minds in every book of Scripture. In Genesis, at the very beginning of, of the Bible, when we see Adam and Eve commit their first sin, the Bible tells us that, that the Lord came to them uh, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid from the Lord. He was seeking to be with them. And the Lord called out to the man and the woman saying, where are you? God desired to be with his people. In the book of Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9, when, when the children of Israel are going into the, the, the promised land, we read this theme, we see this theme once again. Be strong and courageous, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This theme resonates throughout the, the, the Psalms. We know it in the, the, the very familiar Psalm of the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil. Why? Because the Lord says, before I am what? With you. I am with you. To Psalms that are not as familiar, maybe. The 139th Psalm, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. The Bible tells us, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. In other words, wherever we're at, God is there desiring to be with us. This theme is in the writings of the major prophets. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 10. For, fear not, he says, for I am with you, as well as in the minor prophets, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save you. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God is there with us. It is a theme at the proclamation of Jesus' birth, we find it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is entering into the world, and, and what he wants us to know about his coming is that it's God with us. And when Jesus is preparing to leave this world, when he's going to, to leave this earth physically, he wants us to know that God is still with us. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with 
you and will be in you. This theme runs throughout the entirety of Scripture, even all the way to the very end of Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3 as we, as we see God uh, prophesying about the new earth and when all things will be made new. And it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. The scriptures shout to us throughout each book of the Bible time and time and time again that, that, that God wants to be with us. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what struggles you've had in your life, God desires to be with us. The tabernacle was introduced with this truth. The tabernacle was not introduced saying, I want to build a place where you can sacrifice animals to me so you can get repentance. I want you to build a place where you can come and, 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 and repent of your sins. No, God says the tabernacle, I want you to build this thing. This is the, the first thing I want you to think about when you think about the tabernacle, that it's a place that is built because I want to be with you. Build this thing so I can dwell with you. I start with this truth in this verse because today we're going to talk about giving offerings to God and other aspects related to offerings. And giving offerings will never be a blessing in our lives. We will never enjoy the power and the, and the, the experience of giving offerings if it is not done with the understanding that we do it because we have a great and marvelous God that desires to be with us, that loves us so much that, that he screams out in every book, I want to be with you. That totally impacts the way that we will think about offerings. So today as I talk about offerings, if you have not accepted Jesus at all into your heart, or if you have not had that experience with your Savior of knowing what it is like to, to be with him, that he wants to be in your life and be a part of your life and, and help remove the sins from your life and remove the, the struggles of your life and remove the guilt and the anger and the loneliness of your life. If you have not experienced that, then, then that whole first part of the sermon is for you. That's most important, that you'll know that God wants to be with you. But if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, and if you have experienced that, then this next part of the sermon is primarily for you. Our text begins, the Bible tells us, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel, verses 1 and the beginning of verse 2. Speak to the people of Israel. He's not saying to command. God at times does command. This is what we need you to do. This is what we need you to give. But, but, but this is, he's saying, speak to the children of Israel that they may take for me a contribution or an offering. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. The big idea that I want us to see from this text, verse two, is this. Offerings should come from the outflow of the experience of our hearts. Offerings should come from, from the outflow of the experience of our hearts. You should not feel like this is something I have to do simply because it's tradition or, or, or I've got to keep the lights on in this building. It should be something that you, that you actually want to do. We all know the difference between being forced to give money 
Any of you pay taxes? And the willingness to give money. All of us as kids were, were forced to share. Do you remember those experiences when your parents said, you share? We all had those experiences probably. Maybe a few of you did not, but, but I know I did. We all had those experiences and we also had experiences where we've just given freely and we emotionally and we physically and, and internally can feel the difference. Can't you feel the difference when you want to give something versus when you have to give something? We all know this difference. God called the Israelites to give as they were moved in their hearts. Well, what were they moved by? They might have been moved by the fact that God wanted to be with them. As they, as they heard what Moses said, God wants to be with us, the God of the universe, this, this, this God that seems so distant at times, the God on the mountain, he wants to come down and he wants to dwell and live amongst us. Maybe that moved their hearts. They might have been moved in their hearts because God had delivered them from Egypt and, and, and in moments they looked back and they said, man, we could still be slaves, but now we're, we're free in God and his salvation. Maybe they were moved because they recognized that they'd already done a number of blunders along the way and God has still been gracious unto them and was still there wanting to be with them. I don't know what moved each of them, but something in their experience moved them. The language, though, here that we use, that I've been using even in this sermon, of being moved is not really the best language, though, for what I am actually describing. Being moved by something can sound almost like uh, emotionalism. I've been emotionally moved to give, and the next day, what I gave towards is totally out of my mind. It's not internally a part of me. This is not speaking of simply an, a, an emotional reaction, but it's, it's talking about something that's happened in someone's life that their, their heart is, is literally just anxious to give. Alan Cole in his commentary on the book of Exodus believes the most accurate translation of this text from the Hebrew is this. Take an offering from every man whose heart makes him vow. Who makes him make that commitment. Not God makes him, but his heart, his own heart. Something has internally happened in his own heart or in her own heart that, 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 they're, that they cannot resist giving. This is describing an experience in their hearts that, that has changed them in such a way that, that it is harder for them to not give than it is for them to give. Do we have that experience in our lives? That it's harder for us to not give than it is to give. This is a type of giving the Lord is asking for in this passage. There's an experience and suddenly there's this overflow of generosity because of that experience. There's this overflow of love and it just pours out in, in sacrifice and giving and of time and talents and treasure and whatever it may be, love that, that is poured out because of the experience that we had. Last night I couldn't sleep. It's not uncommon on Friday nights, uh, especially I haven't preached here in a while, and I haven't preached anywhere in a while, so you know I get nervous. Every Friday night I get nervous, so you can pray for your pastor as you're falling asleep peacefully. Your pastor is struggling a little bit and uh, going over things in my head, and suddenly this illustration popped into my mind that, that maybe illustrates, helps illustrate this a little bit. I don't like dogs, just so you know. Um, I don't really like animals that much, but we've always had cats, but I don't, I don't like these things. So, so I have a dog now. And I like my dog, but don't think that means I like your, your dog or want you to come and give me your dog. 
It's not the case. I love you. Don't really want your dog. You know, I don't even like my dog sometimes either. But, but he's there, and I love my kids, so we have this dog. And, uh, but there was one dog that I had great affection for in my life. Back in California, my grandma and grandpa were farmers. They, they recently retired in their late 70s and, and gave their orchard to uh, one of their sons. But they lived just down the road from the dairy, and we would hop on the golf cart and drive the kids down to the dairy to see the cows and to hang out with all the cows and in all the stink and nastiness. Um, that's why I don't drink milk anymore. If you live right by a dairy, you don't, don't as much drink milk anymore. Almond milk all the way. But uh, if there's any people that work in the milk field, I love you. God bless you. Um, but so we'd drive down and we'd always take the boys down. My grandparents had a number of dogs. There was this one dog, though. They, all their dogs that they had were wild. In other words, they didn't buy any dogs. Dogs just showed up on the property. And that's how you kind of get dogs on the farm. So we had, we had all these dogs. And there was this one dog. It was a chow. And it seemed quite aggressive, especially towards men and quite skittish. And it always made me very nervous. And so we only had Dayton at the time. And I was worried about Dayton getting too close to this dog and, 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 and being around this dog. And, and when I would go to my grandma's, I would always walk into the gate. And the dog would be there. And he would look at me me and I would look at him and we'd both go our separate ways and just basically avoid each other. No petting, no talking. You stay over there, I'll stay over here and we'll mind our own business. Well, it's one day we're driving down to the dairy and, and in, the, in the golf cart, and these are farm golf carts, so there's no governors on them. We had a lot of fun there and a lot of dangerous times on those. But we drive down to the dairy with Dayton. I have Dayton. It's just Dayton and I. He wants to see the cows and he's about two years old. He gets out of the car and he's walking around. Normally the cows, when you go near them, they move away from you. But Dayton is, is standing kind of near where the cows reach through and eat their, their bales of hay and lick their salt blocks and everything like that. And Dayton is sta- has his back to the cow. And this very, very large uh, cow comes and begins to get closer and closer to him and puts its head through the bars and begins to extend itself out towards Dayton. And out of my corner of my eye, all of a sudden I see this dog, bear, this chow, come in there and he plants himself right between Dayton and that cow. And I just watched this. And the dog just sat there, looking straight at that cow. And then Dayton got distracted by something else and he ran off towards me, back towards the golf cart. And as soon as he ran off, that dog took off, went away. And in that moment, I fell in love with that dog. (laughs) I realized that dog was protecting what he saw as a threat, my son. Well, you know what happened in my heart? It wasn't just a one-time thing. From that point on, whenever I saw that dog, and I don't like dogs, I would pet that dog. Now, by the way, I don't like dogs because I got bit by a dog when I was a kid, so don't think I'm just a mean, cruel person. I mean, a dog attacked me when I was a kid. So I was at vacation Bible school and I got attacked by a dog. <laughs> but but, but this, this, this dog, now from, from that point on, I would always pet that dog and love that dog and scratch that dog's belly. If my grandma had said, you know what, we can't keep this dog anymore, I would say, I'll take it. I'll take it. It can come live with me. Christine would say, that dog sheds. No, it doesn't matter. That dog can come live with us. There was a generosity in my spirit towards this dog because of something that happened. I don't know if that makes sense, but, but, but that's the type of thing that's talking about here is that, is that there's just something that happens that, that suddenly we can't help but 
but want to be generous towards something. That's what God is describing here in this. There's a wonderful example of this, uh, uh, of giving, this type of giving in the New Testament. If you want to turn quickly to the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 2 through 4. And Paul here is writing about the churches in Macedonia, and he says this, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. These are talking about the churches. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will. And then listen to verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Paul is writing about how how one group of churches saw a need uh, for the Lord's work and to help others and that they begged Paul to let them give. And to let them give more. Man, this is every pastor's dream. If you came up to me and said, Pastor, ask me for more money. That would be a dream. They begged them. But it wasn't simply because they just, there was something inside of them that that they were compelled to give. When we understand what God has done for us, our hearts are more than moved. They actually make a vow that compels us to give. We can't resist. In Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9, there's a text about the the, the scriptures, and it says, uh, it says, um, God's word burns in my heart like a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. It's talking about God's word being so deep in us that, that we just have to to let it out. Jeremiah is saying, I just have to let it out. I have to share what God is telling me to share. In the same way, this is what, what is happening with these churches in Macedonia. They're just compelled to give by their hearts being moved by some experience. When you think about what God has done for you, is this the experience of, of the offerings you give and treasure and talent and time? And what has God done for us? Well, I started with the big idea of the fact that the God of the universe wants to dwell with us, that he wants to be with us. But just to put it another way, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 and 8, just to, to, to think about the gospel. And the gospel tells us, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches This is God's riches. God's poured out his riches according to the riches of his grace, which he, and then the Bible uses this very extravagant word to describe the riches of God's grace, which he has lavished upon us. Which he has lavished upon us. God didn't say, what's the least I can give these people? He lavished it upon us. That's an extravagant word. He says to the people, based on the experiences that you've had with me, because you know that we're building this so I can dwell with you. Out of your hearts, will you contribute? God didn't have to tax the people to build his building. God didn't have to tax the people to to establish the place where he would reside. Some of you are Washington Redskins fans. 
And I don't know if you've heard the reports that there's a desire for them to move back into the D.C. area, kind of heard down by National Harbor. Well, the big crux of it is, is if, if they have to move down there, then we're going to have to build them a new stadium. And how are we going to get those resources? We're going to have to tax people, just like they taxed people back in 1997 so that they could move out there. In other words, Cowboy fans and Eagles fans and fans of the greatest team ever, the San Francisco 49ers, that live in that area would have to pay a tax, whether they, their hearts are compelled towards the Redskins or not. And to be honest with you, I don't even know if Redskins fans' hearts are compelled to pay that tax right now either. God doesn't have to do this, though, for his buildings, for his temple, for his tabernacle, for his work to be done. God says, I don't need to do a tax because here's what I know. When people have had a real experience with me, their hearts will just overflow with generosity towards God and towards his work. That is the experience. He knows that when a heart truly experiences the love of Christ, they are moved like nothing else can move them. And their hearts won't allow them not to give. When we give from the heart, this is what is taking place. But something else happens when we, when we give from our hearts. When we give from our hearts, we not only have this desire to give to the Lord our time and our talents and our treasures. But we also want to give what the Lord asks us to give. We, we seek, we say, God, what do you want us to give? The Bible tells us there in Exodus chapter 25, going back to that, as was read, he begins to list all of these things. And this is the contribution that you are to bring. You shall receive from them gold and silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate, breastpiece. God's asking actually for the absolute best items that these people have. He's saying, I want you to give, but all, not only do I want you to give, but if your heart has, is compelled, if, if your heart forces you to out of the experience that you've had with me, bring these things, the best of what you had. But here's something interesting that I thought about when I, when I read that text. The best of what they have isn't actually from them. It's the best of what God has given them. Turn back real quick to the book of in Exodus to Exodus chapter 11. And look at this. Exodus chapter 11. The Israelites didn't have gold and bronze and silver. They didn't have fine uh, linens and 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 all these amazing things and these amazing incense uh, because they were wonderful entrepreneurs out in the desert, and they had all of a sudden created all these businesses. That's not why they had those things. They had those things because God had shown them favor and allowed them to receive them back in Egypt. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 11, verse 2. Speak now in the hearing of the people, this is God talking to Moses, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold and jewelry. And then this is what it says. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So in other words, all the best of what they had, they had it because of what God had given 
to them. And you know what? It's no different now. If we, have, if we have much, if we have little, whatever we have, it's because God has allowed us to have those things in our life. When we're thinking about what to give to God, we shouldn't say, well, I'm hesitant to give my best to God because what you, your best is actually from God. It's funny because we teach our children this. This is what we teach our children. Those of you that are parents, you, you probably have this experience where your kid's being kind of selfish with something and you remind them who bought them that toy. Anyone else ever had that moment? Where do you think you got that? So I want you to share with your brother. We remind them, you have a roof over your head, you have food to eat, you have clothes on your back, you have a bed to sleep in because your mom and dad provided that for you. We try to teach our kids these principles growing up and then somehow we grow up and we forget ourselves. That the reason why we have all that is because God in his, in, in his favor and his mercy has said, I will allow you to have this in your life. I will allow you to have this talent. I will allow you to have this time. I will allow you to have this treasure in your life. Kids, learn this. Adults, forget this. But it's the same. So when God asks us to give, too often our question then is, what can I afford? Rather than first asking God, what is it that you want me to give? Something comes across, the offering plate comes across, we open up the, the window to give online, and we think, what can I afford? Rather than stepping back and saying, God, what is it that you want me to give? What is your priority for my giving? But when our hearts begin to grow in Jesus, we are moved to first ask, what is it that Jesus wants? To listen and to hear what Jesus wants and then to bring that freely to God. Those people obviously were moved because the temple was built and they had enough gold and they had enough silver and they had enough bronze and they had enough acacia wood and they had enough linens and they had enough incense and they had enough of all these things. So obviously the people were moved and said, you know what, these are our best things and we're still going to give them to God. The thing too I like about that little passage is that is that some of those things are obviously more valuable than others. Even the idea of the acacia wood, that wasn't something probably anyone owned, but, but rather it took people going out into the woods and just cutting down those trees. So, so each person had a different level of offering, but it was everybody's offering together that, that made the blessing, the blessing of the temple. Offerings are from the heart. They should be the best that we have, and Together, those offerings, all those offerings together glorify God. And those, those offerings should be based on us asking God, what do you want, not rather, what do I want as our hearts are moved? But here's the final point that I want to make about this. And here is just the amazing thing about the God we serve. God said, as your hearts are moved, as, 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 as you've experienced something in your life that, that, that compels you to make this vow with me, to make this commitment to give, give to me, give to this, this work. But, but, and I looked in the scriptures, and, and it's true all the way through. 
that, that every time God receives our offerings, it is ultimately returned to us in a blessing for us. These people were asked to give their offerings to this cause. Why? So that a place could be built so that the God of the universe could dwell with them. So that the God of the universe could, could be with them. That is the most amazing thing about the offerings that we give to God. It's not so that God can take them and say, okay, now I got all this extra stuff up in heaven. No, it's so that God says, thank you for those offerings, now let me pour them back out to you in some way. I'll build you a temple where I can, where I can dwell with you or to the, to the churches in Macedonia. As you give, you're gonna find yourself more joyful, more excited, more exuberant. You're gonna be saying, how can we give more? That's the little God we serve, that, that, that when we give, God returns it to us in a whole nother level. God desires us. He asks us to give, but, but based on the experience that we have had with him. So as I close this morning, I want to close with this challenge. And it's not a challenge to give more money, as some of you may think that was coming. That's not actually it. The challenge is this. The next time the offering plate passes in front of you, the next time that you open a window to give online, will you pause first and reflect upon what Jesus has done for you? Maybe list out your blessings. Before you write down the blessing that you're going to give to God, list out your blessings. And then in that pausing, ask God to show it, you what it is that he desires of you, whether it be your time, your talents, your home, your money, your job, maybe even your life. Will you pause and examine what the Lord has done for you? And then say to the Lord, take from me what you need. All I have is from you, and all I have is for you. And then thank Jesus for how he's going to use your offering, not only to bless others, but ultimately to pour it back and bless you.